0: Welcome to PIWC Worcester's podcast. Thank you for joining us. We pray that in your time spent with us, you will be blessed and edified even as we grow in faith. Please enjoy and may the Spirit illuminate your hearts. You do uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be reading from 1 to 8. But before we read that, I want us to just dial back to Titus 1, reading from 10 to 15. um, So that we get a a context of what uh, Paul was trying to tell this young leader, this young pastor here. So verse 10, this is Titus 1, 10, and I'm reading that. It's not on the slide. Uh, It says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, obviously talking about the, um, if you will, status or conditions within the church. Um, And uh, this is Paul talking to Titus, who is in charge uh, of the church, uh, if you say here in Crete says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And then he gives an example. One of them is a prophet of their own. uh, And he says, Christians are always liars, even beasts and lazy glutens. He's talking about somebody who is denigrating the whole tribe, if you will, or culture of some people within the church, which is the Christians, if you will. And then 13, he says, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth to the pure. All things are pure. But those who defile or those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Verse 16, let me add that quickly. They profess to know God, but but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That verse 16 is a sad commentary. Uh, that they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. And therefore, they are abominable, they become disobedient, and have disqualified themselves from every work. This is the context in which Paul was trying to write to Titus as to how church leadership ought to be done, as to how he ought to manage the church of God, the conduct and things that he, being a leader, was charged to do. Uh, Of course, when you read the previous verses, he tells about the qualifications and so on and so forth. Here, he's trying to talk about, here you are, you are a leader. This is how I want you to conduct the family of God because there are are some things and some people going on in the church that if you are not able to keep things right, can cause chaos and havoc in the church. And then that's where we jump into our main scripture which is titus 2 verses 1 to 8 so now he's talking about what i need you to do titus what i need you to do pastor what i need you to do elder Dickin dickness these are things that i want you to focus on as you lead the flock of god so verse 1 says but as for you right so i underline that in other words other people may choose to do stuff that are contrary to their calling. Other people may refuse to be leaders. Other people may be be, um, um, deliberately not following the essentials of leadership. Let me put it that way. But as for you, as for me, this is what I need you to take note of and do. Speak the things which are proper and of sound doctrine. And what are they? So you see, he has it in colon. So he's going to illuminate the things that he wants him to do. Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And what are these things that are proper and of sound doctrine? Says that one, the older men may be sober. They should be reverent. They should be temperate. They should have sound faith in love, in patience. This is what I need you to make sure that in your leadership role, As a pastor, as an elder, as a deacon, as a deaconess, make sure these things are spoken, taught, and even emulated. And then, three, also the old women, likewise, that they may be also reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine. They should be teachers of good things, teachers of good things. We'll talk in detail in the essentials. I'm just going to read through this real quick so we get the gist of what the Lord is trying to teach us. Verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, and to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. If we claim to be this uh, pillar of truth, as we have learned a couple of days back, It's the identification of the church, people who are full of the truth of God and the character of God is emulated in them. Then make sure that these things are done in the church so that God's word may not be blasphemed. Verse six, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In other words, you, make sure you yourself are acting in accordance to what you teach. You are a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may himself be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. You read a whole text here. What Paul was trying to tell Titus is this is how I want the church of God to be. These are sound doctrines that I need you to start teaching, acting, behaving, doing. And it covers everybody, young men, old men, old ladies, old, old fathers, adults, everybody in there in a nutshell should have these lifestyles. Um, being exhibited. Now, if that is a charge that Paul has given Titus as a leader, <laughs> that is a huge task because uh, history would tell us that these, him and Timothy, uh, were young folks, right? So young pastors, perhaps, or young elders, or young, you know, for the purpose of our discussion, young dicknesses, or young Dickin or young ministry leaders, and so on and so forth. And they are charged was to make sure the old men in the church are sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Make sure the old women, likewise, are reverent in behavior. They are not slanderers. They are not given to wine. They are teachers of good things that see to it that they would admonish the young ones. In other words, teach the young ones, mentor the young ones to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, homemakers, and so on and so forth. How is this young man going to be able to stand in front of these old, now back in the days when we talk old men and old women, they are really old men and old women, not only in age, but they are vested in the Torah. They are vested in the Mosaic laws. They are vested in the church doctrines and practices. They, 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 they seem to know their stuff, so to speak. However, because you are the leader in this time, in this season, at this moment, your task is to ensure that these characters, uh, exhibited in a household of faith, which is the church of God. Likewise, do the same to the young man. It's a daunting task, but that is what God has called you and I to do. And the fact of the matter is, if you see yourself here on Zoom and you have a role and responsibility assigned to you within the church, what it means is God has determined that you are able and capable of doing it. You just got to have to believe in that and trust that the Lord who has called you would equip you and prepare you to be able to do this work. I told uh, the new leaders when we did a quick short orientation that, as Samuel once told Saul, when Saul had you know failed miserably uh, uh, in terms of obeying God, um, and he didn't, and he did the sacrifice. Saul, so Samuel told Saul, you see, when you saw yourself inadequate, paraphrasing him when you felt like you amounted to nothing, even in that time, in that state of mind, God made you king of Israel. What that means is, yes, every single one of us, unless you were called when you were in your mother's womb, had no idea we were going to be placed in this position. As a matter of fact, nobody ever seemed to be so prepared and say, ah, I've been waiting for lo, so long. Lord, you've wasted time. You should have called me five, 10 years ago. Everybody that is called into leadership position and has a genuine heart and a godly mind knows within their spirit that they seem to be inadequate and prepared to face the challenges that comes with leadership. Having said that, we need to just realize that it is not our ability that's going to take us far, but it is the ability of God. He who saw something in us, he who graced us, he who has equipped us, will continue to equip and prepare us, shape us, so that we'll be able to be accomplishing the task that he's given unto us. Well, I want to encourage all of us, young, new, brand new leader, old leader, whichever position and status you find yourself, know that in this time, at this season, at this moment, the Lord has called you to be a leader of his church. And he who has called you is faithful, and he'll take you all the way and ensure that your task in your tenure will be accomplished successfully even in the mighty name of Jesus. So that brings us to this, of course, popular statement of one of my favorite leadership mentors, John Maxwell, that says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it's so true. If whatever Paul was telling Titus would be able to uh, be accomplished and come to pass and have the conduct of the church uh, resemble those speculations and uh, specifications that he gave him, It rises and it would fall on leadership. And he being the pastor, if you will, at that time, or the main leader, it starts with him. It starts with all the elders, the deacons, the deaconesses, to the very least, if there is a word like that, in the church. Because everybody has to be in there to make sure that this goal is accomplished. So I am a proponent of the fact that everything rises and falls on leadership, especially in our church and the way our church um, leadership hierarchy is. The presbytery is the highest decision body in the church. And so when the presbyters meet, with the pastor obviously being the head, what decisions, what activities, uh, what programs that they agree to is what the church follows as opposed to some other denominations where it could be uh, congregational or whatever, where people just do a, a, an opinion vote and they decide, okay, we go left, we go right. In our case, if the few of us that by grace the Lord has called sit and decide, say, this is where the Lord is leading us, it is where we are all going. What it means also is if we are blind, God forbid, then we lead the whole church into a ditch but if we are wide open and clear-eyed following the visions of god then we will lead the church onto the destined places so everything everything rises and falls on leadership and if we all would have this mindset that whichever role the lord has placed me i am in charge here i am in charge like joseph would say with me in charge in this house things will be done according to the word of god with me in charge of this ministry Things are going to be done according to what God says we should do. With me in charge, as an elder, as a deacon, as as, 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 as a, uh, a deacon, as a ministry leader, as an usher leader, as a IT director, things will be done according to the vision and the plan that God is leading this church. Why? Because everything would rise and everything would fall on your leadership. I pray that that sticks into our hearts and our spirits. So, we want to look at three, I mean, five areas um, in this discussion. We want to look at the essentials of integrity, the essentials of influence, the leadership essential of humility, the leadership essential of sacrifice, and then the leadership essential of accountability. So, these are the five areas that we want to delve into today to just remind ourselves, edify ourselves, get ourselves back to where God wants us to be as leaders so that he will use us to build this great church. Again, uh, John Maxwell has that quote, he who leads, all right, and without followers is only taking a walk. Anybody who is a leader but has no following is only taking a walk. What does that mean? In other words, if you're a leader, there has to be some level of influence, some impact, some uh, accomplishments, competence, and we'll talk about all that in these five areas, because that is what a leader does. So let's talk about the first one, which is integrity. Now, here's a few definitions, but I got this one here that I liked most. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principle, in short, moral uprightness. If a person is said to be A person of integrity, a man of integrity, a pastor of integrity, a first lady of integrity, deacon, deaconess, elder of integrity. What it means is that person has a quality, a certain innate quality of being honest and having a very strong moral principle, a moral uprightness. Of course, our moral principle is not what the world calls moral, our moral principle is based and judged according to the word of God. And so if a person is a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, that is what he or she is trying to tell the whole world. It just simply means telling the truth, even when it's difficult. It is. There are times where you wish that you could have said it that way. You could have done it this way. You could have bent it this way. But if you're a man or a woman of integrity, you stick to it because that is exactly what it is, according to the word of God. If God says it, then it is settled. And as a leader and as a steward of his church, this is how I ought to operate. It is so amazing that in our days, in Christendom, men and women lack integrity. And we easily compromise. We easily compromise. I am praying that even as we go through these, the Lord will remind us of who we are. The Lord will remind us of who we are. Sometimes, oh, but this is common sense. Oh, but this is rationality. But this is reasoning. But this is logic. Yes, it may be. But what does the word of God say concerning that particular situation? That is what we always need to go by. What it means, therefore, is truth will lead to trust. If you have a person who always tells the truth, consistently telling the truth, you trust him. As a matter of fact, the reason why believers trust God and we trust Christ is because he is the truth. It says God is the truth, right? There's no what, irony of darkness in him, any element of darkness in him. He is the truth. And the reason why we do is he's continually, consistently proving himself to be the truth. If he says he will, he does it. That is the only reason why we trust him. Even when times are difficult, we still know that because he has said it, He's not a man that he will lie, therefore he will do it. In the same way, as leaders of his church, we must be found to be people who tell the truth and act accordingly according to the truth. Because what that does is it builds trust, right? All leadership is built on trust, believe it or not. If you want somebody to follow you, that person better be trusting you. If you want somebody to do X, Y, Z, that person must better be trusting that you are leading him or her to the right path or else forget it. And so all leadership is based on trust. When Jesus went to the boat and saw Peter fishing and says, drop your net, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. For the first time out of nowhere, there was a level of trust in Peter and says, you know what, I'm just going to drop this net that I've been, you know, this is my job. I got a PhD in fishing. This is my livelihood. But For whatever reason, I trust this man that I'm going to let go of anything that I'm doing and follow him. It is trust. And if Peter had not followed, Jesus would only be taking a walk because he wouldn't have been a leader. Why did he follow? There was an element of trust. that if I follow this guy, what he's saying, he will bring it home and he will actually cause it to come to pass. Truth, therefore, leads to what we call trustworthiness. Are you trustworthy? Can I trust you? Can I come to you knowing that you're not leading me to a ditch? Can I come to you knowing that what I tell you and you said, oh, I'll pray for you is actually what you do. Can I come to you and say, "Um, Elder, Pastor, Deacon, First Lady, I'm in need in this area. Can you please help me in prayer? And then when you say, yep, I'll be praying with you tomorrow. I'll I'll call you and and we'll, we'll pray every night or whatever the case may be. Can I trust that your word is your bond? That is leadership, folks. That is leadership. But oftentimes, we 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 just say stuff, right? You know, sometimes it almost becomes like a cliche. When somebody calls in the need, oh, we're praying for you. Do we ever pray? You don't, most times. So we are praying that even as we go through this, the Lord would convict us, remind us, the Lord, we're sorry. There are things that we really, really, really want to do, but... We, we fall short. So even as you teach teaching us, grant us the grace to be able to accomplish them even for your kingdom, right? Truth, therefore, leads to trustworthiness. I have a statement here. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to have people trust you. And if you're going to have people trust you, you must always tell the truth. Act the truth. You don't compromise. You stand the truth. There are times where it's difficult. There are times where people would get angry when you're telling them the truth as a leader. There are times where your own reputation and, and your fondness, fondness, right, people being fond of you may be diminished by you telling the truth. But you got to tell the truth. The times where people may not like you anymore as a pastor in that fondness, as an elder, as a deaconess, as a ministry leader. But if what you're saying is the truth, tell the truth. One mentor of mine told me long, 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 long time ago when I was a young elder. It says, listen, this is what you need to know in life if you're going to be a leader. People may not like the truth you say, but they will respect the truth that you exhibit. Amen. Let that sink into your spirit. Because truth is one. Once it is the truth, you don't go back and remake it. You don't go back and try to embellish it. If it's black, it's black. You don't go back and say it's blue, black. It's gray, it's black. It's black. That's it. And if that is what would make people now, with what God has told you to do, what the church is doing, what the whole group as a family unit is trying to do, and you are admonishing that truth, please continue to stand in your integrity and do that, and do that. That is the truth. That is the truth, even when it's inconvenient. And I pray that God will grant us that spirit, the resilient spirit, to always continue to tell the truth. Romans 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Check that word, duplicity. Duplicity means you are wishy-washy. Today, you are white. The next day, you're black. Today, you are for it. The next day, you are against it. So we come to meeting, and you are for it. You left the meeting. You went home, for example. And all of a sudden, you are a proponent against it. Right? You are wishy-washy. You, are, you don't have integrity. If you're a leader, you lack integrity, you can't lead anybody because people can't trust you. People need to know that your word is your bond. And so here Proverbs says the integrity of the upright, of course, he's talking about us, guides them. The principles of the upright guides them. The word of God, which is the truth, guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. They don't know where they want to. They want to please people this day. They want to please that other group the other day. They want to please the members here. They want to please. No. Stand it, and in your integrity. That is what the word of God says. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Second Peter 3.14, read It says, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless, right? Make every effort. Nobody here is saying that we are perfect. We're not. We're still in the sanctification process until the glorification day comes. But the fact is, every day we are growing from one level of grace to the other. And so make every effort. The enemy will come so many different ways to just kind of lure you to just breach your own integrity. But Peter here is saying, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. Let no one say, "Oh, but the elders so and so said that." Oh, but pastor so and so said that. No. If what I'm saying is what the Word of God is saying, then the Lord's name is glorified, and therefore I'm making every effort to stick to the truth, and that is what integrity means. Let's move forward quickly. Influence, influence. Now this is huge, right? Influence, especially for. ministry leadership as a church. And I have here, it is the true measure of leadership. Now, if you are in a corporate world, uh, or you are in a uh, boss-servant relationship, influence, though it's important, it's not much needed. Because if I tell you to come to work at eight o'clock and you don't show up, you are fired. End of story. I don't need to have any moral influence in you and cajole you to wake up in the morning and come to um, um, work at eight o'clock. You yourself know that if you don't get there and you don't call and you don't show and it continues multiple times depending on the SOP of your company, there are repercussions. And so influence seemed not to be of so much importance in some quarters of leadership, but in the house of God, that is all we got. My fellow leaders, that's all we got. When a person or a leader loses their influence, you cease to be relevant. You cease to be relevant. You cease to be relevant. And unfortunately, some leaders carry titles as leaders. And that's what we call the positional leaders. But they lack influence. They lack influence. So what is influence? It is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or behavior of someone or something or an organization or a group, whatever you can put there, without an apparent assertion or force. In other words, you are not cajoling anybody, you are not putting a gun on anybody's head for coercion to say, do X, do this, do X, do that. But there is still a strong level of influence, not coercion, influence, which is the capacity that brings about the effect on that person's character, development, behavior, or someone or something without you forcing them. So when, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, just by that pronouncement, he wasn't putting a gun on anybody's as if you don't imitate me, this is what's going to happen to you. But by mere mentioning of that, Frege, if you will, people begin to look up to him. How did he get that influence? Oh. Was it because he was an apostle, because he was a pastor, because he was a presiding elder, elder, Dick and Dicknesses. No. Those are what we call positional leaders. In other words, if that title is taken away from you, there's really nothing left. So I pray that we don't become positional leaders. I pray so. Because there are times where that gets so much into our heads that, don't you know I'm this? Don't you know I'm that? Don't you know I'm this? Don't you know I'm that? If, if I have to go around telling people, don't you know I'm the pastor of Piero Busi? Don't you know I'm the elder of Pietro Busi? Don't you know I'm the women's and men's ministry leader in Pietro Busi? Then I have a problem. What it means is if that title is taken away from us, there is really nothing that we have in terms of influence. So how do you build influence? These are a few things that I put there. Your character, who you are, who you are. As we go through this, you know, it, it's also a form of evaluation for all of us. Ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? One thing we need to understand is every leader first is a Christian before he became a leader. It is amazing where sometimes we think we are leaders more so than Christians. I'm the bishop, I'm the apostle, I'm the archbishop, I'm the pope, I'm the whatever. And we forget that that doesn't matter at all. That's just grace that has landed you to that responsibility. But your core foundation is you are a Christian first, you are a believer first. What the member is supposed to do, for example, in terms of getting up in the morning doing his morning devotion, getting up and reading scripture, praying and interceding, being faithful, uh, being benevolent, all that. You too, as a leader, have to do that and more. So if you're a leader, what it means is you have transcended the basics. You've transcended the elementary milk. You are now able to chew bone. And not only that, but people are also able to rely upon you. And so the way you act, the way you behave, the way you talk must be different. Character, who are you? When members are saying stuff, what do you say as a leader? When members are feeling a certain way, what do you feel as a leader? When members feel like giving up, what do you do as a leader? Do you also join and throw your hands in the air? No, character. Who are you? Knowledge. What do you know? And here I'm not only talking about the knowledge of the word of God, which is our basic and primary goal as leaders. Know the word. Teach the word in season and out of season. Be apt to teach, as Paul was telling Timothy in in his epistles of pastors to him. Those are all important. But know what I'm supposed to do. I'm the women's ministry leader. I'm the men's ministry leader. I'm a deacon. I'm a dickness. I am an usher. I am the IT director. Um, All the great responsibilities that God has assigned to us. What am I supposed to do? Have a knowledge of where God is asking you to operate. Have a knowledge. So it means for most of us, get to know in our context, get to know the church's constitution. Get to know the church's practices. Get to know the mission and vision statement of Pierre de Get to know where the church is going, as in, okay, what programs do we have next month? What vision did we talk about at the end of the year? Where were we all trying to go even before COVID hit? Okay, after COVID hit, when we gathered, where, what did we say we're going to be doing? And get that knowledge. Because once you know, you know then where we are going. And you follow suit as a group. Not only that, because you're a leader, you lead the people to that place or destination. But if you don't know, right, lack of knowledge, Make my people perish. But the amazing thing is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. us think in a little bit. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. That leads to the next point, relationship. And so as much as knowledge is important, where you know all this stuff, you know the church's principles, protocols, constitution, practices, word of God, and all that, if you don't have relationship as a leader, forget it. It's just going to be certificates hanging on the wall. It amounts to nothing. So in order to have your influence count in terms of knowledge, build relationship. Build relationship. I can't overemphasize that. And don't hide behind the excuse of, "Oh, you know, my temperament is this, my temperament is that." um you know as for me i can't i don't like talking to people as for me you know me i don't trust if you're a leader i hear sometimes i hear even people leaders talking as for me i don't trust people or as for me i don't trust people but you are leading them how if there's no level of trust how do you lead build relationships so relationships are hard to build but guess what what is the hardest relationship Ever recorded that a relationship between Christ and his church. It is difficult. We are stubborn as hell. We are rebellion as hell. We are disobedient. Yet, he seeks to build relationship with us all the time. And we are his representatives that he has assigned his church to us as leaders. We better learn how to build relationships. And so, who they know you to be. Who is pastor? Who is presiding? Who is... Church secretary, who is this? Who is that? How would they get to know you? Build relationship. Gradually, stop somewhere. That is why when we implemented the fact that everybody is a shepherd, get your list. Call anyone on the list at least once a month. I, I bet you if God were evaluating us, all of us will fail. Some will do well, I'm sure. The majority of us will not do well because it sounded more maybe as a task, but that is our core duty, is our responsibility to know. Jesus says, I know my sheep or I know my flock and my sheep or my flock knows me. What was he trying to say? They hear my voice when I speak. They can decipher my voice from somebody else who is coming to steal them from the pen. How did that happen? Relationship getting to know them, getting to know their plight. As you call them every day, once a month, maybe the first time they'll be reluctant. The second time, they are warm up a little bit to you. The third time, they realize, oh, wow, this sister cares about me. This brother cares about me. Therefore, if there is something that I can open up to him, to her, at this point, I've built some level of relationship trust that I can share. But if that's not there, it will be difficult. So relationship. Number four, wisdom. Wisdom is how you applied knowledge appropriately according to the plan and dictates of God. Wisdom. Not every knowledge needs to be spewed out just raw like that, as a leader. Not every speech ought to be just blasted out like that. As for wisdom. As for wisdom. And not what the world gives. But that which the spirit that indwells us gives. So there are times where you wish to say your mind, there are times where you need to act certain way, but the spirit of God says, ah, chill, relax. Just obey. It's all part of exercising wisdom. Wisdom. Competence, the ability to execute. So you can have all the above, so to speak, but if you are incompetent, in terms of the role in which you've been assigned to, you have no influence either. So let me just throw it out there. You are the IT director, for example, and you have no idea about IT. And everybody is counting on you for IT stuff and nothing is coming up. I mean, what influence do you have? So that's, that's the whole point. And Part of what we are doing here in terms of leadership retreats and equipping all that, it's all part of building our competence. Because some of us, probably some of these things, though we know it subconsciously, it has not been moved to the conscious state yet. And we, it hasn't prompted, oh, wow, I, I need to check here. I need to check here. But as we do some of these things, it brings our mind to the forefront, knowing what we ought to do. Get to be the expert in your field, not as a boastful manner, but so that you be a competent, a well-done, faithful servant. What I've given you, you have worked hard to accomplish. That is competence. And so I pray that all of us, whatever role, responsibility the Lord has given you, add to it competence. Upgrade yourself, somebody would say, not in a worldly manner. Go to the Lord. Lord, Chuck, the the conversation that Moses always has with God, right? Sir, you you know me. I can't even speak. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. Go to the Lord. He already even knows. That's the whole point. Of your frailties, your weakness, your fears, your shy, your whatever it is. And as you go to him and you pray and you ask him to equip you, because he called you for this job and he didn't call us to disgrace us. He called us to glorify himself through us the lord will make you competent and we can do all things because he strengthens us but these five things at least will cause you to have influence again if a leader loses influence i said he becomes irrelevant becomes irrelevant the way you talk the way you relate to people the way you apply knowledge The way you are unable to do stuff, you don't show, you don't call, whatever it is that you're going through. You keep doing it over time, over time, over time, you lose relevancy. And so you may be wearing a title, but you're only a positional leader. You are not an influential leader. So you may be even talking, you may be doing whatever it is, but then there's no influence. You're not impacting life, you're not changing. The capacity to have an effect on character, development, behavior. It's not there. Why? Because you lack influence. Why? Because you lack character, knowledge, you don't build relationship, you lack wisdom, and you are incompetent. But we pray that he who has called us into this task will grant us this grace, so that in our tenure as leaders, we would have influence. Influence as in positive influence, because some leaders can also have negative influence. And when we read Titus 2, Paul was one in Titus that there are some who are bringing confusion why because they are influencing some household members onto things that don't please the lord be a leader of good influence be a leader of good influence what is it that the lord is doing in the church this is what the lord is doing in the church now you have the knowledge how do i do that then i build relationship How do I then go forward? I am competent in what I'm doing. How then do I go ahead? My character shows because what I say, what I do is in line with what God is doing in the church. It's amazing when the church, a whole church is going left and a leader says, "Ah, me, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go right, for example. And not only that, but then his or her level of influence is pulling other people from also going We are all accountable. God is going to ask us sooner or later. Because that's what Titus was against. And we pray that as we go through some of these things, we are also asking for forgiveness. God, forgive us. Sometimes we let our own personal and selfish ambitions get ahead of what you want to do. Sometimes we feel that we know much better than what you're trying to do. But as we go through these teachings, purge our hearts, forgive us. Calls us always to stay in tune, in sync, in line with your purpose. Because we're not here for ourselves. We are your servants. And that which you do is what we also would follow. Influence. So Matthew 5.13, scripture, right? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, if the salt loses its influence, how can it be made salty again? It's of no longer any good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon. That's when a leader loses influence, because these five elements are lacking. Please, let's build relationships. Let's build relationships. I remember when we were young, and we we came into the eldership. Um, some of our old fathers would say, you know, as an elder, you know, you, you, your face has to be, you know, some certain demeanor, right? Uh, I'm sure they meant well, so that you don't lose, uh, I don't know, credibility or whatever, Um, or you don't lose face, as sometimes we we say it casually. Uh, But if that is not building relationships, it's very hard to be a leader. It is, and I think when I came here first, uh, you know, August is two years now, uh, in PA. One of the things that I said, I think, in our first meeting. Is, look, some of us leaders, we come to church, we close, boom, we're gone. The only time we ever have any chat with maybe one or two members is when we come back the next Sunday. And we are leaders. We are, we are the leaders. They are a flock. We don't even know them. How are they going to know who we are? How are we going to know who they are? How are we going to be able to impact the knowledge that we have into them it makes us incompetent and therefore we lose influence. That is key. And so I pray that the Lord help us to get back on track. First Corinthians 11 one says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think i said that already, because Paul was trying to say, you need to have influence, not putting any gun in anybody's head, but based on these five things. Now let's look at some seeds of positive influence, right? As a leader, one of the positive influence that you can have in the household of God. Be a peacemaker. So Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 says, make every effort. Again, the same phrase. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. That no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let that sink in leaders, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up in our church, even in you, to cause trouble and defile many. The little yeast messes up the whole dough. One little bitterness, hurt, pain, whatever it is, Grows and grows and grows. And before you realize, you become like a cancer. You're spreading like gangrene all over in the body of Christ. But you are the leader. Your job is to be a peacemaker. You quench those things. You heal those things. You are the chemotherapy to the cancer that is spreading. You quench it. But unfortunately, many times, you see leaders stoking fire. We are praying that in P.R.O.B.C. such will not be found of us, that we'll be peacemakers. That is what the scripture is saying, and that is what is required of us. Be an encourager. When members are crying, when members are afraid, when members are desperate, as a leader, you should be the one with a broad chest. The strong shoulder that they can lie upon and say, you know what? I'm going to call my women's ministry leader. I'm going to call my men's ministry leader. I'm going to call my youth leader. I'm going to call that sister. I'm going to call whoever you are and whatever role the God has given you. Somebody should be able to say, when I go talk to this brother, this sister, this pastor, this elder, this dickness, this dicking, I will be encouraged. When you realize that people are not coming to you for the right reasons as a leader, check yourself. If you're a leader and the only time people come to you is they want to come and bring um, um, complaints. And this, this, that. This one did this. Didn't you see what happened here? Can't you see what the test is doing? Watch out. Check yourself. Put yourself on the scale. You are falling. Because your influence has ceased to be positive. You become like what Titus was saying. Is written in titles, of The Prophet Who Sows Discord. Your job is to be encouraging the members. When people are desperate and afraid and times are hard, your job is to say, you know what, sis, bro? Our God is still on his throne. He would do it. Not just say stuff and then you demoralize people. And we are leaders. Let us consider one another in order to stir up the love and good works. Hebrews 10 is saying, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exalting one another as so much and more as you see the day approaching. That is your job as a leader. We should be the ones calling members. Guys, we got to go to church. Guys, we got to go to throne room. Guys, we got to go to meeting. Guys, we get, that is our job. But it's unfortunate sometimes the leader himself or herself is the one that is speaking against that same gathering. Yet we are leaders. Let us consider one another in order to stir up the love. Stir up love, not confusion. Stir up good works, not apathy. Is what scripture is telling us. Because that's who we are. We are stewards of the people of God. Be an encourager as a leader. Number three, forgive. Listen, listen, my brothers and sisters, you can never be an effective leader if you don't learn how to forgive. And if for some reason you have some idea of leadership as everybody is going to like you, Everybody's going to be light, nice to you. Everybody's going to love you and hug you and give you kisses. Mwah, 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 mwah. Please, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. As a matter of fact, as a leader, you are thoroughly exposed. You're the one standing on the pulpit preaching, you're the one leading the ministry. You're the one bringing in ideas. You're the one saying stuff and all that. You are thoroughly exposed, you and your whole entire family. There is always the likelihood that somebody is going to hurt you. There is always a likelihood somebody is going to disrespect you. There is always a likelihood somebody is going to speak bad against you. But you are a leader. You are a leader. For that reason, learn to forgive. Learn to forgive, because without forgiveness, you can be a peacemaker, which is what Hebrews is talking about. Let no bitter root grow up and cause trouble and defile many. It starts within you. Oh, this sister did this to me. Oh, this brother did this to me. Oh, that presiding elder 10 years ago did this to me. Oh, that pastor 100 years ago did this to me. And it has caused bitterness. You can forgive. How can you lead? The fact of the matter is the master himself. The master himself was disrespected, (coughs) abused, disobeyed. Spot on. What makes you think that you, you, you are so special than him? It just doesn't happen. Expect that not everybody is going to like you as a leader. As a matter of fact, you are not leading to please people, by the way. If, if your, your philosophy of leadership is, I just don't want to step on anybody's toe. I just want to play it safe and cool. You will never be effective. Let me repeat that. If your philosophy of leadership is I'm just going to stay in the middle. I, I'm not going to you know, ruffle any feathers. I don't want to step in stop anybody. You will be an ineffective leader. Because your job is not to play it safe. Your job is to edify, to change, to modify. And when people are in your comfort zones, and you are there to modify, to change, yes, you will ruffle feathers. Yes, there will be some discomfort. But at the end of the day, you are doing what God says you should do. You're not pleasing men, but you're pleasing he who has called you to do that job. If you don't learn to forgive because somebody stepped on your toe, because somebody spoke disrespectfully against you, somebody yelled at you, somebody did whatever to you, and that is still there, and you haven't forgiven, you cannot be an effective leader. So Colossians talked about it. Bear one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all, these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of god rule in your heart the peace of god rule in your heart you can be a leader without peace in your heart a leader with bitterness in your heart a leaderness with anger in your heart a leader a leader with rebellion in your heart you are always complaining there's something always wrong about something you can't lead you can't lead you may be called a leader all right but you are not leading you are filled with so much garbage. Let it go. Our job is meant to step on people's toe. Our job is meant for people to spit on us. Though we pray that they will mature so that they seize that, but not all of them are at that level. And so know that these things would come. I can begin to tell you the number of times as a pastor, I've been disrespected, yelled, insulted. So what? doesn't change who God says I am and what I'm supposed to do as long as I'm in line with Christ. My reputation doesn't count. I'm not here to protect my reputation. I may as well then stay where I was. There I can protect my degrees and my management skills and whatever whatever God was taking me. But here in this household of faith, my reputation doesn't count. Not to say that we should be disrespecting our leaders either. But what I'm saying is, as a leader, know that these things may come. And if they come, don't hold that brother or sister so hard and deep in your heart that you can't forgive. As they are praying that they will repent of what they've done, you also pray that you can forgive them. Because there's no way you'll be able to be an effective leader if you don't have forgiveness in your heart. You can't. And so I pray that these seeds of positive influence will fill our hearts or else you will have no influence positively. You will fill your hearts with bitterness and therefore whatever comes out of you is bitterness. Guess what? What is in you is what you give. Know that as a leader, you have a spiritual oversight upon your flock. And so what is in you is what you spew to them. What is it that you spew to members when they come to you saying, I don't even know if this church thing I can go anymore. What do you tell them? What do you tell a member says, says, I don't feel like pain tights anymore. What do you tell them? What do you tell a member He says, that sister that insulted me, I'm not ever, ever, ever going to talk to her again. What do you tell them? If your heart is filled with rebellion, bitterness and all these things, all that comes out of your mouth is the same. Yet, we are leaders. So please, I am beseeching us all by the mercies of God. Let's be peacemakers. Let's be the encouragers. Yes, sister. Yes, I know times are tough. You know, this church thing, it's difficult. Oh, this must thing, I'm telling you, I can't even breathe in it. But you know what? This too shall pass. Let's all do the best we can. That is all in control. That is a leader. That is a leader. I always give this example, and we'll go on to the next one. A leader who 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 says, we, we want to go buy a church building, right? Leader one comes and says, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. everyone's hallelujah. OK. Uh, this building project thing, uh, well, we saw some building on the other uh, day, and uh, hmm. in fact, this is just too expensive. I don't think we'll be able to even buy it. That's leader one. Leader two comes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. All the time, God you look, the Lord is taking us places. We have found a building. We found it last week. Though it's a little bit expensive, the Lord will take us there. That is a leader. That is a leader. You exude confidence based on faith. You don't dump in people's spirit and discourage them for what they want to do. And they're thinking they're coming to you as a leader to kind of change their mind and you just put more kerosene into it. Be an encourager, not a demoralizer. We are leaders called to encourage and edify. Next, humility. As for this, I can overemphasize this. I, I cannot overemphasize humility. It is a freedom from pride or arrogance. The quality or state of being humble, according to Merriam-Webster. Look at the verbiage. Freedom from pride and arrogance. The amazing thing is nobody ever thinks he or she is arrogant or prideful. Nobody. If you were to do a, a survey and say, raise your hands. Anybody that f- thinks he's prideful or arrogant, all hands will be down. But the fact of the matter is that in itself tells us that we are prideful and arrogant. Every day as a leader, check yourself. How am I behaving? How do people see? Jesus himself, as who do people say I am? Jesus himself. It was doing the self-evaluation, I'm here for a purpose. I know within three years, I'm gone. I want to know that from all these times, What I'm trying to do, influencing people and all that, they see me to be who I am. But it comes with humility. None of us is qualified for this job. Let me repeat that. No one, none of us is is born entitled to become the leader of a church. I wasn't born and some prophet says I was going to be a pastor and therefore Whether I like it or not, I have to be a pastor. If I don't become a pastor, I'm I'm gone. No. It's grace. Were there other better people? You bet they are. Were there more than 12 that Jesus could have chosen to become his disciples? You bet they are. Why would he choose Judas? Why wouldn't you choose some criminal like that to come into your fold? Couldn't you choose a better person? Yes, he could have. He chose him anyways for a purpose. And so no one is entitled. I, I, I'm passionate about this part of humility. None of us is entitled to anything in the house of God. Why didn't they make me that miracle leader? Why didn't they make me this men's ministry leader? I could have been a better um, um, presiding elder. I could have been a better pastor. Who told you that? On whose evaluation are you grading yourself? Your own? People's? All oh, gods. Let's be humble, my brothers and sisters. I beg you. Let's be humble. When I we started Emerging Leaders class, um, and I was teaching these young leaders last year, and we, I think we were talking. I think maybe it was influential leader. I forget the topic we were talking about. And and somebody asked a very poignant question, and and it shook my mind. He says. But pastor, um, what if, you know, sometimes, you know, as a pastor or, you know, a father or whatever, you know, there are things that maybe pastors are not supposed to do, maybe cleaning, you know, you come to church and you are cleaning or we come to church, we see you playing drums or whatever. Aren't you worried that maybe sometimes you lose face, right? Very legit question, legit question. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I was a president in PRWC in Florida, there was nobody to play anything. I would go and play drums. I would come and preach. Sometimes I'll find some small boy to just do the drums, just give me the beat. I'll go play some keyboard. And, and then I remember our district pastor came one time and says, you know what? You guys, you don't have to have your letter. you your that do these things. Somebody else should go and lend this. I knew it was a good thing, right? They mean it well, because you need to sort of protect that image. But for what? Seriously, for what? If, if in fact I come to church and there's nobody there to clean and I'm able to clean, what is wrong with me doing that? Though we are not saying that that should be the number. What I'm trying to say, I'm talking about humility. I am never entitled to this position that God has given me. None. Zip. Neither of us is. It is only grace. Grace has found us and has placed us where we are. So don't ever feel entitled. Don't ever think, I should have been there instead of that sister. I should have been there instead of that brother. No, you you are not. If it pleases the Lord in his own wisdom to place us wherever he wants, he will. Because guess what? This is what is besetting our church. You're a deacon. All of a sudden, I have to be an elder. I've been here for 10 years, and everybody is becoming an elder. How come I'm not an elder? You are not called to become an elder. At this point, you are a deacon. Stay as a deacon. Philip was a deacon and he was still operating in his ministry. Oh, I'm an elder. I've been here for long. Why? How come they are taking uh, presiding elders, uh, men's ministry leaders, whatever leaders, and I'm not, who said you are entitled to that? Stay where the Lord has placed you and serve in humility. A few things I wanted to point out here. No, meekness is not weakness. The fact that you are meek, the fact that when people yell and talk, blah, 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 and raise their voice, and you are quiet, calm as a leader, doesn't make you weak at all. It is actually strength under control. So be humble, be humble. Let people speak and say all the stuff and flex their muscles all over you as a leader. And, and I'm saying this, those of you that have come in first, I mean fresh, let me put it that way, the fresh women's ministry executives, fresh men's ministry executives, whatever position that you have been placed on and you are fresh in it, learn. Listen to what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters. Learn to be meek. Some people may even, even undermine your, your leadership position and role. That's okay. Be humble. Some people may think you don't qualify. You, who made this guy that? Who made this lady this? That's okay. Be humble. Because even the master himself suffered the same. But I want you to know, and I want to encourage you, that your meekness, your humility doesn't mean you are weak. As a matter of fact, it is your strength which is under control. In the same manner, arrogance or pride is not strength either. Arrogance and pride is weakness in disguise. You are weak in your own self. And therefore, you portray it with this pride, arrogant, you know, image. And people see through it. People see through it. It's like you're creating attention for yourself. People always, some people always want to create attention for themselves. Here I am. I'm here. I got to speak. I got to do this. I got to yell. I got to do that. I got to complain. I got No, no. You are a leader. You are a servant. Godly leadership is servant. And servant requires a humble ser- um, servant, not entitled bosses. Nobody's entitled. We are all serving by grace. And it's not a position. It's a responsibility. If we get to understand that, we don't fight for these things. We don't fight. I, I, I think I said it some years back in some assembly or whatever, and they were picking presiding elders. And they picked some other presiding elder. And the presiding elder's wife, not even the presiding elder himself, but a wife, flips over, goes to the pastor's house, it is my husband's turn. It is my husband's turn. He should have been the one to be the presiding elder, not this other person. Not even the elder himself, the wife. As if it's, some, um, I don't know, uh, royal, um, how do I even put it, installment. And so uh, you've been here five years, you become the next person who is six years will, will come. The one who is, seven. no, it's not. I'm saying this, passionately because believe it or not, this is what has ingrained in some of our minds in our church. You may have been called to become a deacon, and you're a deacon for life until Jesus comes. You may have been called to become an elder. You are an elder for life. You may never be a presiding elder. You may never be a men's ministry leader. You may never be an apostle, a pastor, an area head, ever. God called us and didn't say, I'm going to promise you. I'm going to make you an apostle. I'm going to make you an area head. Never. He called you to be a pastor, serve as a pastor, serve as an elder, serve as a deaconess, serve as an usher, whatever position. Because guess what? He is the one that elevates. If God sees that this brother, this sister, this man, whoever it is, have served me faithfully in humility, and as I've entrusted little to him, I can entrust much, he himself would elevate you. Don't fight for it. Don't get so bitter. That is no leadership. Because then you, 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 what you're telling God is, where you've placed me here, I don't like it. This, this is too small for me. This place is just too mediocre for me. I am more excellent than this place that you've placed me. But I pray that the Lord will help us. Humility, my brothers and sisters. Humility, 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 humility. And it's from the heart. It's not the outward thing. Sometimes we act humble, but we're not. God knows our hearts. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but made himself nothing, nothing, nothing. Take in the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death the cross, Philippians 2, 5, 8. That's it. And if we are his servants, then we need to have this attitude. We need to have this attitude. It's not what you think you are able to. This is, I, I, I've been here for years. Uh, I've served the church for, for whatever years. See, this, that is what is bringing bitterness in our hearts. And I'm saying this with all passion, not even just in our local church, everywhere in our church. But I've been in ministry for 20 years. How come this person just came in 10 years and it made him national head? Who told you you are entitled to become a national head? You're not. It is God who decides. Besides, when he called you, he didn't say you're gonna be a national head. He says, Come and be a pastor, serve me, serve in humility. And I pray that this attitude will fill our hearts, church. It is my fervent prayer. Because you know what? It will eat you up. 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 You become so bitter. You will talk and talk and talk and talk. And complain and complain and complain. And even the little that he's entrusted in you, you become very incompetent. Because to you, you're above that. Take what the Lord has given you. Do it well. Because at the end of the day, you're not doing it for man. You're doing it for God. He sees you, even if no one has seen you. People who who come to the church, Nicodemus and clean. One day, I was walking to the church, and I didn't know somebody was there. I walked in, a member, cleaning the whole place. I'm like, ah, why are you here so, Pastor, occasionally I come in and do it? That is what we're talking about. That is what we're talking about. He doesn't seek recognition. Whether somebody sees that he cleans or not, no, the fact is the job has been done. The dicknesses and the dickens will come, the bathrooms are clean. Hallelujah, who cleaned it? Some angel? No, not an angel, a person who is humble. That is what I pray that we all get to. Humility, it will take us places. This is my quote. I posted it last night when I heard something floating in the air on Facebook. I hardly do that, but I had to post it. Maybe somebody need to put my name there to... to, to uh 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 what do they call it now uh, trade market or whatever but this is what the spirit of the lord was speaking into my my spirit ensure your call does not lead to your fall that is sinking ensure make sure that your call your calling does not lead to your fall when you were never an elder when you were never a deacon when you were never a deacon, when you were never a pastor when you were never an apostle or whatever position the lord has placed you how did you serve the lord And now that you've become an elder, a deacon, a pastor, a pastor, a deaconess, how are you serving the Lord? Is your desire looking for the next higher end position, the next recognition, the next reputation that you want to build for yourself? Have you forgotten that you are a servant? Don't let the position change you. Because guess what? Leadership does not change. Leadership exposes. It exposes who you truly are. And so when you are in a position of leadership, that is when people know who you truly are. I was telling somebody that this COVID has exposed real leaders versus pretenders. COVID has exposed a whole lot of stuff. But one the things that is exposed, it has exposed who real leaders are and who pretenders are. In every walk of life, government, social status, church-wise, the ecclesia, everywhere because then you realize those who really have the competence and the humility to serve as leaders and those who are just there as pretenders and then when things ah, become you can difficult come on in okay to the minute clinic when things okay. got difficult they just threw their hands in the air it's called humility let us learn to be humble be humble under who you serve if 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 you you are you are you see that's what uh, Paul is telling Titus, tell the older women, tell the older men. So if you have a young presiding elder, you have a young men's ministry leader, you have a young women's ministry leader, you have a young youth ministry leader, you have a young pastor for, for that matter, and you are an old man, an older father, an older mother, and you are not humble, how can you serve under them? You can't. It takes humility. You may, you, you, you may be smarter. You may have PhD. You may have double degrees. You may be knowledgeable in some areas. You may be gifted in certain areas. Your women's ministry leader may not have the same thing. Your men's ministry leader may not have the same thing. Your, elder, your pastor, even for that matter, may not have the same thing. If you are not humble, you can't serve under that authority. But I am praying and beseeching all of us, let us be humble just as Christ was. Because that is what he's called us to be. Humility. Humility is wisdom. I just want to read this quickly. James 3, 13 and 18. Write it down. And then meditate upon it. James 3, 13 to 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? That's a question. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness, humility of wisdom. If anybody wants to be wise, anybody wants to portray himself as smart, anybody wants to say, I'm I'm there, I've landed, he says, let that person show that by good conduct, that his works, his deeds, his mannerisms, his speech, his leadership are done in the meekness of wisdom, humility of wisdom, because wisdom is the proper application of knowledge according to God's stature, statutes. 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, check that out. That's exactly what I just said. I should have been here. I should have been this. I should have been that. Why did they bypass me? Everybody bypasses me. I've been here 10 years. I've been here 20 years. I'm knowledgeable than him. I'm knowledgeable than her. And I should be there. Envy and bitterness fills your heart. If that is what has filled your heart, he says, do not boast. Don't flip your hands and be telling everybody, I can do better than her. Look at these small, small boys that have made leaders. Look at these small, small girls that have made leaders. Because when you do that, you lie against the truth. And then he says, that kind of wisdom, that kind of talk, that kind of behavior does not descend from above, but it is ethically. It is sensual even. And look at that. It is demonic. Because... (laughs) <laughs> the master, the master rebellion himself is Satan. He was the one that thought that he was better than God. He was the one that thought that he could ascend and do greater things than God can ever do. Because he thought he was entitled to it. I'm the one that, you know, I'm, I'm the chief worship leader or whatever he was, archangel in heaven. And yeah, I am it. And so I can ascend. And guess what? The, the sad and amazing part is he was able to take one-third of the angels to follow him. That is how a leader who is arrogant and unhumble can do damage to the church. And I pray that in Pierre PRWC, the Lord would not allow such a thing to happen in our midst, that we would not be counted as leaders who are filled with arrogance and pride and self-seated mentality. May God forbid May he create in us a humble heart that at every level we find ourselves, we will bow, prostrate before and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. In this time, in this season, in this position, use me. I don't want anything for myself, but your name should be glorified. That's it. If you are close to me, most of you are. I've said this multiple times, that for me, me to even be sitting here and talking to you guys as a pastor, I, 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 it, it baffles my mind. Baffles me. Sometimes I even look at myself like, whoa, really you? Are you the one that said that? Are you the one that's doing this? It baffles me because I am not entitled to it. Not even close. Have that same mindset, brothers and sisters. It says, that type of wisdom is demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Did you catch that? Yes. If you go to a church where there's confusion, there's envy, there's talk, there's disunity, the common denominator is people are self-centered. They are seeking for their own recognition. I too have should be this. I too should be that. But it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about God. It says that, but wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's peaceable. We already talked about that. Be a peacemaker. It is gentle and willing to yield. I like that. Willing to yield. When your time is up in your tenua, yield. Freely, happily, and you're gone. You help the new people that come in. So it says, we are behind you. Bro, we are behind you. Pastor, we are behind you. Presiding. we are behind you. Not, yeah, uh, they've taken me in, Even They didn't even let me serve my second term. Well, uh, what is that? John the Baptist, Bible says, amongst all men, born of women, he's the greatest. But in the kingdom, he's the least. Why? Brother man did his job. He was done. Unfortunately, of course, he's in jail. He's going to be executed, but he questions his disciples. Go and ask that man, that man, that is he the Jesus that I prophesied about? Think about it. He had forgotten that his role was done. It's amazing that he himself out of his mouth says that I may decrease, that he may be glorified. The same John the Baptist. I may decrease so that Jesus may be glorified. But here he is in a difficult time, thinking that he should be elevated, he should be freed, he should be whatever it is that he finds himself in that difficult position. He is now questioning, is this guy even the Jesus that I prophesied about? Some of us, that's what we do. When your time is over, yield, willing to yield, because it's never about us. See, this is the same mindset. Let me digress a little bit. Unfortunately, my fellow Africans that are on the line, this is the same mindset with African leaders because they always think it's about them. So the constitution says you can only stay on for four years. The four years is coming to an, oh, let's change the constitution. I want to stay for another five years. Pride and arrogance, self-seeking. It's all about them and not about the people, not about the church of God my fellow brothers and sisters, it's never been about us. It's about the flock of God. Remember, we were also once a flock. And by grace, he's made us overseers, overseers of people who he himself have purchased with his own blood. Not our blood, his own blood. And therefore, as we lead, let's lead with humility and not entitlement. It says, Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality or hypocrisy. That is who a leader ought to be. Without partiality and hypocrisy. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. Stick to the truth. Stay on point of what God's word is saying. Don't be duplicit. And I pray that the Lord will grant us all grace to be able to do that moving on quickly sacrifice sacrifice i've made a statement multiple times that anybody that wants and desires to be a leader and does not acknowledge sacrifice is only taking the job for granted you're just joking look even right now some of you could have been shopping some of you could have been doing your saturday chores some of you could have been you know having time with your your kids because you've been working all week. And this is the Saturday that you can spend time with. But here you are sitting on on the Zoom for two, three hours listening to your pastor speak. It is sacrifice. It is. Some of you are doing stuff that ordinarily you wouldn't have done, but it is sacrifice. It is. So when Jesus tells them, You know, follow me. I'll make you feces of men. It is sacrifice. As a matter of fact, he himself says, who is going to go build a, 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 a building and does not calculate what it would take to build that building and just jumps in. And then unfortunately, he's not able to complete it. Because people are going to laugh at you. What he's trying to say is, if you have accepted this role to be my leader, and you are humble before me that i equip you and edify you to lead my flock you must understand that it takes sacrifice you would have let go something yeah you would have to let go something elijah when he was called says he went and you know sold everything you know made a feast of all the sheep and oxen that he was you know i guess owned because he didn't just want to go back there again he just wants to follow according to his calling, it is sacrifice. I'm not saying all of us should follow that suit, but the basic doctrinal principle of Christian leadership is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. And I have there, godly leadership is sacrifice, not entitlement. We all sacrifice, some way, some shape, some form. So if, if, if members are not coming, we as a leader have to go. The story in scripture that always kind of brings to mind is, Scripture says, when all kings were going to war, David chose to stay home. And we all know what happened to him. He didn't want to sacrifice anymore. I fought enough battles. you know. Come on, this time around, I'm not going to go. Let him go. He stayed home. When all of us are gathered on Zoom, in church, or whatever activities that we do, as a leader, you just decide to stay home. I've had it. I'm, I'm tired. Yet, we are leaders. We are leaders. We are 45, 46 presbyters plus non-presbyters. If we calculate, we are getting to like 60, 80. If even just us, just us, we're coming to church, coming to Zoom, throne room, empower, encounter, all these, even if just us. That's a crowd. But we are blessed. Sometimes we even have 30, 40 on weekday services. Where, where are the leaders? Brothers and sisters, where are we? And if we don't show, we expect our flock to show? No. If, if we are leading, they will follow. If we sit, they sit. As a leader is, so is his flock. It is sacrifice. It is sacrifice. The elders who are among you, I exhort you. This is Peter. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. See the word he uses? Suffering of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that is yet to be revealed. If we are not suffering with him, how can we partake of that glory? Two, shepherd the flock of God. He's talking to us. Those of us that are elders, and using that elders here generically, Leaders, overseers, pastors, deacons, dicknesses, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Why would a pastor have to be begging and calling leaders to come to church meetings? How? I mean, seriously, how? If we know who we are and what God has called us to be, I should be begging members. I should be compelling members because, quote, unquote, we consider them as babes, right? So we compel them. Oh, sister. Oh, brother. Oh, 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 oh. But for a leader? So if, if you as a leader wants to be compelled, what would a member expect then? Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, not what I will get, not what I will achieve, not because I'm on a program today, so I'm showing up, not because I, I was put on opening prayer, preaching, whatever, so I'll show up. No. Not as being Lord over them, but being examples to the flock. We are examples, my brothers and sisters. We are examples. You can tell the members to do what you don't do. You can't. It is spiritual malpractice. As a leader, to be able to boldly stand and say, do X, Y, Z, and you yourself are not doing it. Check yourself out. Let's check ourselves out. It just won't happen. If a leader, you are not a given leader. And since you are leaders, I can say this boldly to you. You are a leader. You are not doing your due diligence in faithfulness. How can you morally stand and encourage a member? To be faithful, it's spiritual, more practice. It is. And these are essentials of leadership. We're not asking, God is not asking us for anything superficial. He's not even talking about giftings and grace that He's giving us. These are the basics of a Christian leadership that we become examples to the flock. For if I am praying, I tell my members, pray. If I am giving, I tell my members give. If I'm going to church regularly and be part and partakers of this community, the family of God, then I can encourage members to go. But if I'm not doing any of these things, you don't even have the words to tell anybody. You can't because the Spirit of God lives in you, and he will convict you. If the Spirit of God doesn't convict you, check yourself. You're probably getting too close to apostasy. Nothing moves you anymore. Are you a leader? God called you for a purpose. God called you and equipped you and endowed you and gave you a mandate that you should lead his flock from one level of grace to the other. And we should be an example to them. We should be an example to them. That is what the Lord is telling us in sacrifice. Let me just say this and we'll talk about the last one. Now, this is an account of Matthew 20, 25 and Mark 10, 42. They both give similar accounts in a slightly different variation. This is when Peter is asking Jesus in that narrative all the way to here. Hey, I've, I've quit my fishing job. I've left my family. I've left all these stuff and I've come to follow you. What is in it for me? What am I gonna get? Very fair question. And Jesus, after addressing him, he who has lost a family, a mother, and this and that, would not only inherit great things in heaven, paraphrasing it, but also right here on earth. What it is, is, and I keep saying this, look, look, man, let me be very, 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 very honest with you as my brothers and sisters. Listen, me as your pastor, as I sit here, as I sit here, I've never lacked, never, ever, ever lacked. And why do I say that? God has prepared my mind and my mindset to a point that even on a given day, if I have a $200 in my bank account, I'm content. Because God will never, ever disappoint us. Ever. Ever. Whatever you saw in the kingdom, I'm telling you, uh, let me encourage somebody, whatever you give to this great and faithful God, you will reap in many, 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 folds. Many folds. Many folds. I've said it multiple times. Even up to today, friends, pastor friends call me, why did you quit whatever you're doing and come to do this? I'm like, what else would I be doing if the Lord says I should be doing this? What else would I be doing in life? What is my fulfillment in life? If I decide to say, forget you, Lord, I'm doing my own thing. How did I even get here in the first place? So in my mind and in a human calculation, yes, it is sacrifice. Oh, but boy, it is gain. It is gain. If I'm able to win a soul, if I'm able to impact one life, if I'm able to bring somebody from a place of the spread to hope, it is a great gain. But it is sacrifice. And so Jesus assured Peter, don't worry, Peter. Yes, I know you know heavenly blessings are assured. But even right here on earth, you will never lack. And I pray that as leaders, if you're going through any challenge, difficulty, financially, emotionally, whatever it is, may the Lord meet us at the point of our needs so that we would have testimonies to show our members that, look, we have given our all to the Lord and he is never disappointed. Who has ever given me something that I should repay? He will, but it takes sacrifice. If you are not in deep, don't expect anything substantial. Where your heart is, there is where your treasure is. Some of us, I know it's difficult, it's tough. But remember, if all, all kind of break loose, remember at the core, you are a leader. You are a leader. I hear some say, oh, yeah, yeah pastor, but we also human beings. Yes, of course. God didn't take angels to lead his church. He took human beings to lead his church. But the fact is, remember you're a leader. And since you're a leader, the Lord knows what you're going through. The Lord knows how much you're sacrificing. And your labor will never be in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. For our labor will never be in vain. I know that for a fact. I don't don't get paid squat as your pastor. I don't get anything as your pastor. But the Lord always takes care of me and my family, student loans and all. It's a fact, and it's a testament that I'm telling you. When you sacrifice for this great God, you will never, ever be disappointed, ever. So I beg you, as leaders, get in deep. Sow the seed today. And you'll be amazed how much reaping you would would reap. It may not even happen in your generation by your kids, your descendants, your descendants, your descendants. When God was talking to Solomon and says, because of your father David's sake, your father David's sake, not because of you. After all, you are a son of a bastard, so I mean, an illegitimate son, so to speak. So it's not because of you, Solomon, but because of your father, David, who was faithful and sacrificed for me. In all his weaknesses, you are still faithful. Because of him, I will bless you. I'll make you wise. I'll do this. I'll do that. It's because they sacrificed. They sacrificed. Jesus has already said that to Peter. And the amazing thing in this story, Matthew says that, uh, uh, James and John's mother comes and asks Jesus. After this, right? Jesus have said that, and then he predicts his agonizing death that is going to come on the cross and all that. None of them moved them at all. See, the pain and the sacrifice, mom comes and says, hey, Jesus, consider my two sons. I want one to sit on the right. I want one to sit on the left. That is Matthew's account. Mark account says that the brothers themselves, James and John, the Zebedee brothers, goes to Jesus after Jesus has told them that, yes, you're going to be rewarded here. You're also going to have heavenly riches. But now listen, I am going to go through this agonizing death. I'm showing you sacrifice. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what Jesus is doing. Our blessings will come. But guess what? Right now, sacrifice is important because I myself am going to be sacrificed. After he said all this, nothing moved them. They come to Jesus and says, hey, we need you to do something for us. Jesus says what? I need my brother to sit on your right and I need myself to be on the left. See? See the mindset? They are thinking of what? Self-seeking, if you will, self-seeking uh, 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 rewards without any sacrifice. And Jesus looks at them. When you get a time, read that. He says, you can carry the cup that I'm about to carry. You can't drink the cup that I'm about to drink. If you really, really want to be there, that part, I don't even know who's going to sit on my right, who's going to, that's the father's to decide. But I get your point. You, you want to be rewarded. You want to be seen. You want to get to that high level. Put in the sacrifice. Put in the sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, our leadership is sacrifice, not entitlement. It is. Let's sacrifice, and the good God will reward us. Let's sacrifice. When the members are not coming, you should be there. When people are sleeping and snoring, you should be up praying and interceding. When we're calling for meetings, yes, you have other things, but do your best. Make every effort to be here. That is what leadership is about. Essentials of leadership. That's the basic. A reasonable act of service, as Romans will have it say. And finally, accountability. After we've done all this, let us not forget That we are accountable. It is an obligation or a willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's action. Everything I do as a pastor in my whatever years the Lord places me in PRWC, guess what? I am going to account for it. Everything that I was in Springfield, I'm accounting for it. Everything that you are in your responsibility right now, as long as the Lord is going to hold you there for whatever years, you will be accounted for. You will be. Right now and at the day of glorification. I gave you such giftings. I gave you such grace. What were you able to do in my household? And what are we going to tell the Lord? Well, that sister got me angry. That president didn't like me. Oh, that pastor just said something to me the other day that just shook my spirit, so I quit. What is our excuse? Really? Do we even have an excuse? We don't. Because we can't look into the master's face and even be able to open our mouth to say that. I can only imagine as the song says. We can't. First Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. We're wrapping up quickly. Let man or oh men so consider us as servants of Christ. Let everybody that looks at us from within the church and outside the church consider us are servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god he's given us the mystery you and i we know the deep things of god the word that brings life to people the transformative power that the lord has entrusted to you and i as leaders the wisdom and the grace and the gifts that he's deposited in us to use in the edification of his church, so that they will all grow into the stature of Christ Jesus. We have that mystery. So Paul is saying that let people within the household and outside the household consider us one that we are servants and we are stewards of his mysteries. And if we are stewards, then it is required of us that we will be found faithful. Faithful. Are we faithful in our leadership? Are we? It's a self-evaluation question. Lord, who am I? I'm a pastor. Have I been faithful in my pastoral role? Have I been faithful in my presiding elder role? Have I been faithful in my elder ministry role, deacon, Dickness's role? Must I be prompted? And then sometimes when I'm prompted, I'm angry and I'm flipping over and, 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 and talking. Have I been faithful? That is Accountability. And with that, as leaders, we have to do it ourselves. I've said my personal thing with you that with me and my family, every 31st night after we're done with church, we come home, I sit my wife down, and three questions always. How have I been as a husband? How have I been as a father? How have I been as a pastor? Three questions. And she would ask me the same thing. And I said, you'd be amazed the things that we tell each other that we never, ever knew that we've done whether things that we didn't mean it but hurt each other, or things that we thought it was trivial but it boosted each other up. Accountability. As a leader, sit down today. Evaluate yourself. Lord, I'm a dickness. I'm a dickin. I'm a ministry leader. I'm an IT director. Have I been faithful to you? Have I been faithful to you? Because it says, let all men consider us. When they weigh us, describe us, label us, they should label us as servants and stewards. Of the great mysteries of God. And if we are indeed stewards, then we should be found to be faithful. That is what the Lord is saying. We are accountable to God. We are accountable to those we serve under. And we are accountable to those we oversee. God and whoever is in authority and the people that you serve. As a matter of fact, these are the three things that qualified you to become a leader, by the way. That's it. The approval of God. The approval of those you serve under and the approval of those you serve. That is a biblical doctrinal way of leadership choice. That's it. And you can go through scripture and do that. And you realize that in every situation, if God chooses, the approval must be there. Even some sometimes the people approve before God chooses, even though God has already chosen. It's just that it came into manifestation or revelation at that time. But that is where your accountability goes to. You are ultimately, all of us, we are ultimately accountable to God. All of us are accountable to those we serve under. I serve under an area head. He serves under a national head. He also serves under an international body. They also serve under God. We are all accountable to somebody. You may not like the person, which you should not, because that is also evil. You should love one another. But whatever your grievances may be with that person, that leader, you serve under him. Respect him, revere him, give him honor, follow his leadings. That is how you grow to also become who God wants you to be. And then finally, we are responsible and accountable to those we serve. Yes, we are. Why would anybody just leave their home and say, I'm going to come to PRWC and stay for church service for two hours? And, and just what? Do what? Why don't I stay home and watch football? If they're able to come, then they, they know that there's something that is there through us, the leaders, that God is going to give them. And we should be accountable to everything we feed them, everything we tell them, everything we preach to them, everything we educate them to become, every conduct and behavior we try to model them to become. We are comfortable, And the Lord is going to ask us. But in the end, when all said is done and done, my prayer is all of us will receive that statement in Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. You remember that? Few things. Yeah. You are an usher. You may think it's a few things. Sister, stay there and be a faithful servant. Stay there. Because that's what the Lord has given you. You were given a few and you were faithful over it. And therefore, I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is what the Lord is asking of us as leaders. In conclusion, I want to read that Titus 2 again. But as for you, as for us, you, myself, everybody that's listening to me, and those that were not able to come, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they will admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, verse 6, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, show integrity. In doctrine, show integrity. In doctrine, show integrity. Reverence and incorruptibility. Sound speech. Sound speech. If you're a leader, mind what you say, mind what you post, mind what you text. You're a leader of Christ, a servant of Christ. Much is expected of you. Remember the qualification for leaders? Person who are above reproach, even at the outside of the church. Are you about, Are we above reproach? Do people, besides what people see us in the church, as, oh, he's our pastor, he's our elder, he's our deaconess, he's outside, do people see that godliness in you? Mind what you say and do. That When people are even opposing you, is what he's saying, they will not be able to condemn you. Why? Because you are living according to who you are in Christ Jesus. And they will have nothing evil to say of you. May the Lord bless us. May the Lord help us. May the Lord cause us to have a reflective mindset, be humble, have integrity. Uh, May God grant us every wisdom that we lack that will be able to influence others. May he cause us to be sacrificial in our leadership role. And above all, May He cause us to be accountable to Him, to those we serve under, and to the flock that He's given us, so that at the end of it all, His name only will be glorified. May He bind us together, purge every pain and bitterness out of us, take every mindset of self-seatedness out of us, and may we know that we are nothing before Him except that His grace has made us who we are, that at the end of it all, only God's name will be exalted. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thank you once again for joining us. We pray that you were blessed. Click on the other episodes to continue on this journey with us. Don't forget to share and follow this podcast. God bless you.